0: Dr. Jason Williams, this week's Game Face Exec, is more like this week's Game Face Educator. A New Jersey native, Jason was a college athlete who first pursued a football and track and field coaching career. Fortunately for thousands of students at Maryville University in St. Louis, Missouri, over the last 13 years, Jason has had an even bigger impact as their academic coach and their business and life coach unusually vested in his students' pursuit of knowledge and their success in achieving a career in the competitive business of sports, please meet one of America's most present-minded professors. And I want to welcome Dr. Jason Williams from Maryville University with us on Game Face Execs Podcast. Jason is an old friend uh, and someone I've been doing a lot of business with over the last 10 years. Uh, We actually, we work together in the classroom. We're uh, we're teachers together. And thanks to Jason's invitation to me about a decade ago, we'll talk a little bit about how that relationship started. Uh, But Jason is is coming to us today from his home, as many people are in this new era of COVID. Um, And I can see already in the background, a lot of cool things that Jason's picked up from his career working with sports organizations around the country. Uh, and Jason is uh, not only a friend, but he's also someone that I turn to for, for insights into best practices and what's going on outside my world within GameFace. Uh, but he has great, great foresight and, uh, and a purview into the sports business. So Jason, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Game Face Execs.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate you inviting me on and I look forward to our conversation.
0: So Jason, you are an educator and um, you've been an educator for many years. But before we get into the details of what you do specifically at Maryville University, and and you're one of the leading programs in the country to educate and prepare students for careers in sports, I wanna talk a little bit about your past, your, your history because I think you've had a long road. You're not that old, but you've had a long road into where you are today. So can you take us back to the beginning where your career began and how you've been involved in academia all these years?
1: Sure, uh, I've been fortunate, Rob, you're right, to have, a, to have an outstanding career. And, and it's been because of uh, a lot of good people that have just seen some things in me that have allowed me to continue to progress. I started out as a high school teacher. Uh, I went to Montclair State University, got my undergraduate degree, um and also played football there and also track and field and then i was fortunate enough to become a high school teacher right after i graduated from montclair state university i was there about three years uh, and then uh, wanted to work uh, in the college side of things in athletic administration and also coaching and so landed a position at illinois wesleyan university where i was an athletic administrator uh, assistant football coach and also a head men's track coach as you know rob at division three schools you do a lot of different things And it was great for me to be able to do those things at such a young age because I got to to learn from a lot of good people in a a lot of different areas. Uh, uh, Soon after that time or during that time, I wound up taking advantage of some NCAA professional development opportunities and met some people who worked at Florida State and they had a position open. And so I applied for it and wound up becoming an assistant director in the athletic department at FSU, uh, working on a variety of different things, marketing, uh, community service, uh, student athlete development, uh, and really enjoyed my time there and learned a lot. I tell people all the time like that was a whole other education working in the athletic department of a BCS school, uh, namely Florida State. Shortly after that, um, I wound up taking a position at Endicott College where I worked a little bit more on the academic side, uh, developed some academic programs uh, for them as well as uh, working on some things for the president, uh, the late president there, uh, Richard Wiley. Uh, And then uh, while I was in Boston, um, uh, Boston College had a position open where they needed someone to work uh, the ticketing and marketing for uh, football, uh, basketball, and also men's and women's hockey. And so I did that at night while working in the college during the day, which was another great opportunity, and I learned a lot uh, from a different culture in in BCS college athletics. Uh, And then uh, later on, while I was doing that, uh, a mentor, who we all have those, And they're very important for all of us to have. A mentor contacted me about a position that Maryville University had opened. And his name was Dale Lick. He was a university, the three time university president. He had been the president of Florida State University, uh, Georgia Southern, and the University of Maine. And he shared with me an opportunity that was at Maryville University. Uh, And at first, I was a little bit reluctant because I didn't know if I wanted to become a full time faculty member at that time. Uh, But uh, I knew Maryville University wanted to do things the right way. They want to grow. They really had an earnest interest in educating young people. And so that's what drew me to where I am today at Maryville University. So before
0: we go into your career at Maryville and what you've done there over the last, what has been 20, 20, 12 years now? Yep. We're going on our 13th year. Yeah. So, um, what you just described is not atypical with those people who want to work in the sports business in that it sounds like you kind of lived out of your car so to speak because you always had to keep a full tank of gas because you might be going to another job before you know it so you were probably opportunistic meaning when an opportunity presented itself and you thought it would be a good fit for you you did everything you could to grab that opportunity and run with it Um, and so there are a lot of people though that would not make that kind of sacrifice. They're so married to a particular market or they wanna stay close to home. And some of this of course is necessary if you've got family obligations or those types of things. You obviously had the freedom to come and go as you please. Uh, so if you could talk a little bit more about that that decision to be mobile. And I'd be curious to know, um, I know you're married, you've got a beautiful family, so what role did your did your spouse play in these decisions?
1: True, great point, Rob. So, you know, I've, like I said before, I've had really good mentors, and one of the things that my mentors always talk to me about is about is that is at a young age, uh, you have to look at opportunities wherever they are, uh, and look at it for the opportunity, not so much of what part of the country or the world that it's in, because you need to gain experience and gain as much knowledge as you can in different places doing different things so that you can learn to work in different cultures. Because even though we're the United States, we have different cultures in each part of our country. And so I listened to my mentors um, very well. And that was one of the things that always kept in, the, kept in the back of my head was, okay, what's the opportunity? And then look at what part of the country is it in? Uh, my wife has been a trooper. We got married when we were both working at Illinois Wesleyan University. and. Uh, One of the things that I had shared with her before we got married is that, you know, I'm still young in my career and I may not always live in Bloomington, Illinois. And I can't tell you where we're going to live moving forward, Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, family is very important to me and I will always keep that in the forefront even as we make these decisions. And so she's been awesome with that even to this day uh, as, you know, looking at opportunities as they come up. Uh, But, yeah, it was a combination of my mentors and also then taking into consideration uh, my spouse that, me move make all those different moves.
0: Can I ask you a little bit about uh that relationship you and your wife have without getting too personal? Uh nobody nobody can dictate to a spouse this is what we're going to do and expect to have a happy fruitful marriage. Mm-hmm. There has to be a mutual understanding and a mutual respect for one another. And as I say, I've 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 spent time with you and your wife with your kids and uh, and I know that there is a deep, a deep, um, and uh, and loving bind that uh, brings you together. And so, how does that materialize? That type of relationship with a spouse, where, in your case, she would be willing to follow your career. In other cases, it may the roles might be reversed. W- what are some of the uh, What are some of the tips you can give people? to enter into that kind of relationship? Is it something you just have to lay down your expectations from day one, that first date, or do you evolve into that kind of understanding?
1: Now, I definitely think it's an evolution, but I do think it's something that before you, if you decide to, you know, take the, take the serious uh, route and become married to someone, that you got to have that discussion beforehand. Uh, and if you plan on having children, have that discussion beforehand. So that way it doesn't become a surprise to anyone if, those things start to materialize as it relates to moving or whatever. Um, I don't think it's um, something that obviously you have to tell in the first date, but maybe maybe uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, as, as you get a little bit more serious. Um, but I think it's a, a conversation that you have to have. And I think if there's a mutual respect for each other and an understanding of why uh, that person wants to do that and also understanding who that person is, because you know, being working in the sports business industry, uh, it's not the same as working for any other industry, in my opinion, and your spouse uh, has to understand that and wanna be involved in that because if that's what makes you happy and that's your career, it's not gonna go away.
0: Uh, it sounds to me, and you know that at Game Face and certainly on Game Face Execs, we talk a lot about sales and the, and the power of influence and the necessity for persuasion. Sounds like you had to exercise some of that in your marriage. Is that a fair statement?
1: Oh, no question. You know, moving from Florida to Boston took a lot of uh, persuasion. As Mm -hmm. you can imagine, you know, waking up uh, Christmas morning and it's 72 degrees versus waking up Christmas morning and it's, you know, it's 10 degrees. uh, For my wife was not always something that she had envisioned, Uh, but, but it did take some persuasion. And I think there's also give and take in that, you know, there were times when, uh, I really didn't wanna travel uh, because I've been traveling so much for work, but she wanted to go visit her family. So then you make those sacrifices because it's a, it's a you know, marriage is about give and take and any relationship is. And so yes, it took per- some persuasion, but it also was a lot about, okay, here's what I'm doing. I've been doing this, then I have to allow these things to happen too that I may not always want to do, but need to do because you have that respect and love for that other person.
0: Well, I can attest to what you're saying, Jason, that you, you live what you say, because when I've been with you in the St. Louis area, when we've been working on campus together, uh, you have been, you've made it very clear that it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to spend time with your kids. Um, and when you and I talk on the phone, you know, halfway across the country, uh, there are times when you're not available because you've got that devotion to your family. So uh, I, I would just let those who are watching or listening know that Jason's not just spouting off, you know, some platitudes, he actually lives what, he, what he's saying. And, and that's why you have such a successful marriage and you're always happy in your work. Um, yep. So you and I are both very fortunate that way. We've been married for some time to our spouses and uh, despite the travel and the long hours, and in your case, the, uh, the, uh, the hopping around the country to pursue your career. Uh, we have been very blessed to have spouses that are supportive of that, that believe in us, that trust us and, uh, and hopefully we've, we, that trust has been rewarded as well.
1: No question, no question.
0: So um, then you got to Maryville, you were essentially recruited to Maryville but when you got there, The sports business management program was kind of non-existent, wasn't it? Can you tell us how you and Dr. Lombardi, the university president, have grown it to become what it is today?
1: Sure. You know, um, when I got to Maryville University, they had already started a sport business management program, but hadn't hired anybody full time to sort of put their full efforts into it. And so uh, the results weren't there uh, because there just wasn't somebody that was uh, taking care of it and, and, and growing it. And so um, when I actually uh, the university hired me, uh, Dr. Pam Harwitz, who was the dean at the time, hired me, uh, along with, obviously, Dr. Lombardi. Uh, they, there was nothing short of, Jason, we want this program to grow. We feel that it can grow. And uh, that's what we've done. And we're very fortunate that, you know, we're in St. Louis, Missouri. There are so many sport business organizations here. I know the first thing everybody's going to think of is the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Blues and at the time, we had the St. Louis Rams. Uh, but even we also have organizations like Momentum and Rawling Sporting Goods uh, and many other organizations, both minor leagues and marketing agencies. And we also have a Division I Athletic Conference here. The Missouri Valley Conference is right downtown. And so from a practitioner's perspective, going into academia, I knew there'd be a lot of opportunities for our students to gain experience because of the city that we were in.
0: So. As, as you and I know, and we've said before, there are hundreds of sports business or sports administration programs around the country. Certainly, uh, uh, you know, there's an exponential number beyond what existed when I first got into the sports business in the early 1990s. Um, so they've just popped up all over the place. Now, when they approached you and said they wanted you to assist them in building this program, one word that I like to use a lot is differentiate. What did they say to you or what did you bring to that interview table to be able to convey to one another that we're gonna make this program different than any other? What, what, what was the original inspiration or vision for the program?
1: Sure, well, the vision of uh, Dr. Horowitz, the dean at the time and Dr. Lombardi was, you're right, that we need a differentiator. Um, and I had shared with them that it wasn't gonna be a cookie cutter program. Uh, one, I knew that wouldn't work, two, that's not who I am. Uh, and so when we had this discussion during the interview process is that I had said to them that we were going to, and I use this, this this quote, is that we're going to do it the right way. But the right way meant that our students were going to leave here with skills that the industry valued. We were going to work with professionals like yourself and others to help us build the program so that one we knew what we were doing was valid two they would have a vested interest in seeing it succeed uh, but then also three we're going to make sure our students had a lot of experience so that when you looked at their resume uh moving uh, toward uh, their end of their senior year it may look like someone who had already had two to three years of experience because of all the things that they had done and the skills that they had developed and so that's how we had that's how we defined the right way
0: so um Cynics, maybe parents of young people who want to get a degree in sports, would say that you don't really need a sports management or a sports business degree, sports administration. Uh, it's really not necessary. It's too specific, right? Um, it's too focused. You need to get something maybe a, maybe a broader education. Uh, and I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I think, frankly, from my perspective, Jason, it depends on which program they're referring to. <laughs> so some programs probably aren't worth the amount of tuition you have to pay to acquire it. I would not say that about Maryville. That's why you and I are talking. And frankly, that's why you and I have a partnership. Because I feel strongly in what you and, and the program and Dr. Lombardi are trying to accomplish. What would you say to those parents? What do you, do you say to those parents? those funders, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and even to the students who suspect that maybe a, a sports specific degree is just unnecessary.
1: Well, that, yeah, there's no question that there are people out there who, who think that way. And what I have shared with our parents and, and uh, prospective parents, and obviously current parents as well is, one, in our, at our university, our sport business management program, and that's why it's called sport business management, is in the business school. So they get a business core of accounting and finance and general marketing, as well as operations, and then layered on top of that, you will have our sport business management courses that are not built upon tests and writing papers. They're built upon experiential learning uh, that we do projects for organizations. And so, when you add those things together, uh, and then add on, and then put on top of that, the amount of experience our students have with the internships that they acquire because of the skills that they have the events that they have the opportunity to work because of the relationships that we've built with the industry, uh, those things make our students uh, what I call uh, employable, which also make them very successful out into the industry because they hit the ground running because they know what to expect on that first day of the job, and they have the skills to do the job that they were hired for. Those organizations don't have to retrain our students once they, get, once they leave our program.
0: Now, you and I are both wearing uh, shirts uh, that have Rawlings, Rawlings Sporting Goods, um, the logo there because uh, they, well, I'd I'd like you to describe the relationship you have with that company. One thing I'm sure most people outside of St. Louis are not aware of is that not only is Rawlings based in St. Louis, but they actually are next door to your campus. In fact, you share parking lots, practically. And your students can literally within moments they can go from the classroom they can walk right across the parking lot and be in the headquarters of rawlings so
1: how did that relationship develop true good good question robin so pam Harwitz, who i mentioned before when i first got the job um when rawlings moved to the maryville center uh, drive is where they are actually housed. like you said their their worldwide headquarters is right there um they talked and said oh how can we partner and really didn't know what to do at that time. And so when I got to Maryville, my dean introduced me to the senior vice president at the time, Art Chu, who's now the president of Rapsodo. Um, And he and I just kind of started to talk about what a relationship might look like. And uh, Art's been a great partner of uh, our program since that time. But it didn't start out as the Rawlings Sport Business Management Program when I got there 13 years ago. It was just, let's do some things together Um, And I've always been involved in partnerships as it relates to uh, any sort of uh, professional career that I've been in. And so I always try to continuously create added value for Rawlings. Uh, When we created it, when we had an opportunity to be the official intern provider for the Texas versus Nation Bowl, which was a collegiate collegiate, uh, football bowl of all stars, uh, I brought Rawlings to the table with us and said, hey, you know, they're doing things in football helmets and football equipment you guys should take a look at what, we can, what you can do together. And so that relationship fostered. And we continuously did those things. Uh, hey, Jason, we need a couple of students to do some grassroots marketing for us at this event. Can you give us some of your best and brightest? And so that's how it kind of started. Uh, but then it got to the point where they had research needs and we could fulfill those needs as related to their products and consumer insights. And so then we started to do research for them in a variety of different areas. And then soon after that, Rob, uh, I sat down with R2 one day at lunch. I said, Art, what do you think about you guys naming our program? And he said, Jason, I, thought, I think that'd be a great idea. And so then we, we talked with the president uh, of uh, Rawlings at the time, Robert Parrish. Uh, and he thought it would be a good idea as well. And so soon after that, we were then the Rawlings Sport Business Management Program. That relationship has been intact for almost eight years now. And we have built a relationship where our organizations are working in, uh, working side by side in a variety of different areas. Um, specifically, obviously our sport business management program but they also provide uniforms for our softball and baseball team. Their logo is outside on our baseball field. And so we've continuously done a lot of things together. Uh, and it's been an outstanding partnership that's continued to grow. So now we do a variety of research projects for them. We're working on a new one right now um, with some of their um, corporate sponsorship partnerships, evaluating that for them. And so that's how it kind of all got started. And every year it's just gotten larger and larger.
0: And as far as student placement within Rawlings upon graduation, you have some really good success stories there, too, don't you?
1: We do. We do. We have a few students there that are working at some of the higher levels because they've been at Rawlings. Uh, for a number of years now. And then we also have a lot of our students who have been hired in at the entry level positions in a variety of different areas. Marketing, uh, digital media, social media, uh, product uh, development. It's been very fruitful for our students as well. Plus, our students have the opportunity every semester to intern with Rawlings. We have three uh, internships with Rawlings fall and spring semester. Each semester there's three. Plus, we uh, help Rawlings with their grassroots marketing that happen that goes on around the country in the summertime.
0: Hmm. Now, you've talked about uh, not only this relationship with Rawlings, which is at, at the center of the program, but you also have reached out to other professionals. Um, you don't just rely on the academics to teach the business of sport. You go out and find practitioners, um, and and I happen to be one of those that you have reached out to over the years and. Uh, I was a little skeptical at first because I had been contacted by many programs in the past, some of which, uh, you know, turned out to be nice, uh, maybe one-off experiences. Um, But you were talking about something much broader and deeper than that, something much more long-lasting, which um, thankfully has lasted, as we said, nearly 10 years now, where I get to come into the classroom every fall and assist you in teaching. Um, the business of sports selling. And, um, and so you and I kind of co-teach that class. Uh, and, and I love teaching your students and the way you prepare them uh, is just tremendous. So Jason, while the Rawlings relationship is certainly the keystone of the program, uh, it's, it's been um, very evident that you've spent a lot of time and effort building relationships with practitioners throughout the industry. And uh, I must say, it's a little bit unlike many sports business programs that I've seen around the country, in that though you are a practitioner in your roots, you are also an academic. You are Dr. Jason Williams. And many people uh, from the world of academia, there's a perception that they may not be as quick to reach out to those who are actually in the industry. Uh, But you've done it. Um, you 've done it freely and you 've done it rapidly uh, and to me, it suggests a level of confidence that you have that you 're not afraid to bring outside voices into your classrooms and perhaps to give a new or different perspective. So what is it about the way you're you 're wired that you want to build those kinds of partnerships that you 've talked about and uh and you don 't try to just hoard all the information to yourself and just kind of create your own little fiefdom on campus
1: right. Well, you know, Rob, it's one of those things where, you know, when these young people graduate every May, I'm not the ones who are hiring them. That, I'm not the one who hires them. The industry is the one who is hiring them. So for me not to include, in my opinion, for me not to include the industry wouldn't make any sense for our students. It wouldn't make any sense for them at all because they're the, the industry are the ones who are hiring our students. It also allows me to continuously sharpen my skills on what is pertinent and what is important to the industry so that I can figure out a way to put that in the educational model so that our students have the skills that the industry values. And so it's a variety of different reasons why we include the industry, but the most important reason is because they are the ones who are hiring our students. And so I have to take my cues from them as it relates to the skills that they see valuable so that our students have those skills and so that they get hired into these positions.
0: Well, I just wanna say for those who may not be paying close attention to what you just said, for you it all comes down to what happens after campus life. It's they've gotta get a job, right? That's that's ostensibly why they go get this degree so they can work in their chosen industry. And I just wanna attest from observation and from our countless conversations over the years, that is always your number one priority is what are we gonna do to prepare our students more than others to actually land in the industry? And I think uh, your placement rate is fantastic. Um, And so I just wanna applaud that student's first attitude that you have. Um, And it's not about building up your name, it's not about becoming a a prolific author. Uh, You're on campus to try to help students get into the career choice that they're looking for and to get them meaningful work and, uh, and, and employment, which is gonna improve their lives. So I just wanna thank you for that. I, w- I want to give you a shout out for that because it's never been lost on me and it's always evident in all of our interactions.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. And that's our goal. Um, and it's, it's, it, to me, it's like no, nothing else that we do in any other organization. We have goals and objectives that need to be met. And for our program and for Maryville University, Those goals and objectives are getting young people into the careers that they want to be in. And that means that we have to make ourselves humble as educators. We know some things, yes, but we don't know all things and no one does. And so the more we can include the industry and more we can include professionals, the better off our young people are going to be.
0: Well, one of those relationships beyond Rawlings right there in St. Louis, of course, a brand you mentioned earlier is the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, I've I've got a jersey of theirs behind me right now um, because they are a great and longstanding client of Game Face. They have been a great longstanding partner of the Rawlings Sports Business Management Program at Maryville University. Uh, What what do you think about their brand, Jason? I mean, you're in the community, I'm not, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. I've been working with the Cardinals for nearly 20 years. Um, w- w- just from, a, from an academic standpoint, from someone who does a lot of research, who observes the industry, what is it about the Cardinals brand? Why are they so beloved in that community? And, and, uh, and, and it seems like they can almost never do wrong. W- w- what's your observation?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Rob, it's one of those things where the St. Louis Cardinals in this community has continuously proven themselves to be a community leader. Yes, they are a business, and we, and you and I both know that, and everybody probably listening to this podcast obviously knows that, but they see themselves as a community leader and leading in the community to do right for the community in which they live and work in. And I think that's why the brand of the St. Louis Cardinals is so strong. The other reason why I think that brand is so strong is because the culture of the St. Louis community is the culture of the St. Louis Cardinals and vice versa. Those who work for the organization embody the culture and the philosophy of the community, uh, which is family, uh, hard work, uh, putting others first, even in, even in tough times. Uh, so I think that is the reason why that St. Louis Cardinals brand is so strong. And, um, you know, people in this area love baseball. It's not, but it's not the baseball, it's the Cardinals. If the Cardinals were a badminton team, if badminton was that strong, the St. Louis area would love the Cardinals badminton team. It's because they embody the culture and the values of the community as it relates to working in the community, being good to one another, working hard, uh, and the community supports those si- that, si- that, that type of culture, and the Cardinals embody that.
0: Well, I, I know it's cliche, and it may be so cliche that it's totally lost its, its luster and its meaning. But when I think of good Midwest values, I think of the St. Louis Cardinals, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that's why it's such a pleasure for me to work with them. And I know that you would say the same and more specifically uh, you and I, when we teach our, our class, we are engaged in helping those students learn the sales skills that are necessary in sports. And we do it, through a sales campaign that's partnered with the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm -hmm. So we have this kind of triangular relationship. We have Maryville, we have the Cardinals, we have game face. And those three parties are trying to assist those students to learn proper sales methodology that will be applied in the sports business when they go into that business, whether they're in a sales, uh, dedicated sales job or not. So, uh, why do you include sales in your curriculum? Why is it so important that your graduates have an understanding of that skill set?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one, it goes back to a couple of things. Where are the, you know, when talking with the industry as we built, continue to build our program, continually shape our curriculum, where are the jobs in the industry and the jobs? Uh, entry, most entry level positions are in some aspect of sales. Uh, that's number one. So that's where the jobs are. Number two. And when I say sales, there's corporate sponsorship, promotions, marketing, event management, and obviously ticket sales. But there's, the other aspect of that is, Rob, is you know, there's nothing to, a business doesn't work unless sales are made. And we all are in the business of sales to a certain extent, uh, because there's no need to account for any money if there's no sales made, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's no need for an accountant. Uh, there's no need for any operations if no sales are made. Uh, And so that's just the general perspective of business, because if there's no sales, there's no business. But there's also an aspect for us of that's where the jobs are. And so that's what we need to be training our students in. Uh, And even if they don't want to go into a direct uh, line of sales, everything they do uh, is going to revolve around sales. They're going to have to sell their boss on an idea. Uh, They're going to, yes, at some point in time, they're going to have to sell a product. They're going to have to influence uh, their co-workers to go in a certain direction to achieve a certain goal to a certain extent that sales as well so we just feel that because of the training that we received from you uh, with Game Face uh, our students also become better communicators and that's always a skill that everyone needs to continue to work on
0: well I appreciate that you know uh, beyond your curriculum beyond the relationships that you've built with the professional ranks uh, the other thing that I really admire about Maryville is your vision and aggressiveness when it comes to uh, online learning. And I want to I want to ask you a little bit about that because uh, the traditional degree is you know basically four and done, right? You're in there for four years or whatever, and you get your degree and you move on. Uh, the world is changing. Um, Coming to campus, as we now know, is, is problematic. It's challenging for many people, either for health concerns or perhaps financial concerns. And along the way, Maryville University has become a real player in this, uh, this idea of an online education um, in, in, and that complements the on-campus in education. So could you share with the listeners and the viewers how that has happened at Maryville and where you're at at this this point in time?
1: Sure. Our president, Mark Lombardi, has been a visionary since probably the day he was born of always looking forward. Um, And when I got here 13 years ago, he was already thinking about an extensive online program. And his vision of, of educating young people or people in general, wherever they are and meeting them wherever they are, is something that has been in the fiber of Maryville University since day one. The the other thing as it relates to the online, specific to the online learning, Rob, is that online learning is the way we were going, and then the situation as it related to COVID-19 has just accelerated that for us as a country. As a university, we've been doing this for almost uh, six or seven years now because of the vision of Dr. Lombardi and understanding that. We had to continuously grow our market. We couldn't rely on just the St. Louis area to be the market for our university, and that allowed us to grow it. And so as it relates to COVID-19 and also online learning, this was something that had to be done. COVID-19 just has accelerated that for us as a univers- for our, us as a country, but as a university, operationally, we were already uh, there from a standpoint of having the operations to support online learning with all of our students having iPads, with also with all of our faculty and staff having iPads, we're already ready to teach online. We had been doing it for some time. And then also having faculty who were trained to teach online while still providing an excellent experiential learning uh, educational experience. And so that's one of the reasons why Maryville University has been successful in that area. It's part of the vision. It's also part of having an, an operations to support that vision but also then having a, a work staff, a faculty and staff who were capable in delivering online experiential learning education at a high, very high level, quality high, life, quality high level.
0: Uh, can, you, can you describe a little bit more about what that looks like on campus as far as that staff and those facilities that you just referenced? Because I think uh, when I first saw it, it kind of blew my mind. I did not expect <laughs> to what I saw
1: yeah when you walk into our online uh, uh educational development area on our campus it looks like almost a television studio uh, it's uh you know you've been there but you know we've got uh, blue rooms we've got technology that will allow for uh, uh, lots of graphics as almost as if you were at cbs uh we've got a great team of people who uh, are educational designers that work with our faculty and saying okay uh, yes, these are the goals and objectives and the experiences you want your students to have. Let's work with you to, to to develop what that looks like from an online perspective. So, it's a it's a combination of having a facility with outstanding and very talented people, but also having faculty who are ready to teach and uh, develop courses in that way. So, yeah, we were very fortunate from that perspective. We've got all we've got the 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 perfect mix, so to speak, Ralph.
0: I don't know how many employees are, are, um, are housed in that facility uh, that you just described, but I think it's close to 40 last time I was there, uh, all told. So it's just a remarkable operation. And I'm sure uh, because of the necessities of, uh, of dealing with COVID-19, I'm sure those numbers are growing uh, since I was there. And Absolutely. So- very impressive. So it, within the Sports Business Management Program, how many online courses um, are you anticipating, say, by the end of 2020?
1: Uh, so we will probably, we will have our full development of all those courses hopefully done by the end of 2020 as far as the general sport business management classes. And then as you know, Rob, there's two tracks. There's the game phase sales track, and then there's the data analytics track. And so all of those courses should be done by the uh, spring of 2020, no, sorry, yes, yeah, spring of 2022. And so there'll be a nine course layout for each of those tracks within the sport business management program.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like you said, uh, you folks were, you, you saw through the fog uh, before anyone ever knew there was a fog and uh, and you prepared for it and you're gonna be rewarded for it. And more importantly, your students are, not only students on campus, We're talking about students all over the country and internationally who are now going to benefit because of that vision. Uh, So it's, it's quite commendable. Um, Now, speaking of on campus, uh, there's, there's a lot of discussion in our society today about the role of campus life in affecting change and, um, and being a, perhaps a, a place where students can feel and see that they are affecting positive change. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanna ask you as a professor, as a leader of a department uh, within a business school, how do you balance that, that need to remain true to your, to your traditional um, institutional priorities of making sure people get an education that's meaningful and that's practical and it's gonna lead to good employment and they're gonna be contributors to society uh, from a commercial standpoint, but also give the students what they're apparently looking for, which is a platform to affect positive social change. Um, how do you balance that?
1: Mm-hmm. I think you bring up a good point, Rob, because there is a balance. You still gotta stay true to the mission of the organization uh, from an educational standpoint. But then I think the key is, and this is something Maryville has done since I've been here for 13 years, is you have to continuously listen to your students. I think sometimes universities forget to listen to their students and allow them to have the freedom to express themselves while developing as young adults. We forget that sometimes that these are 18 to 22-year-olds when you look at from a traditional perspective. They're continuously developing. Um, but part of that development is allowing them to learn and allowing them to make mistakes and then have them learn from their mistakes. I think sometimes institutions get away from that because they're so worried about protecting something that they forget about in the reason why, uh, partly why the educational institutions were developed in the first place. And also they forget about why students decide to come to universities in the first place is because they need to develop. They need to develop not only from a standpoint of being a practitioner in some industry, but they also need to develop into a bit more mature young men and women. And uh, I think if, as long as universities continue to listen to their students and allow them to make those mistakes and allow them to grow, they'll have that platform. I think the challenge becomes when we stop allowing them, when we don't listen to them anymore anymore and don't allow them to make mistakes that they can come back from.
0: Do you think that they're speaking of the word balance? Do you think that there is a balance between listening and guiding as a, as a member of a faculty, uh, for example, if I allowed my, and I'm not saying that college kids are, are children, but if I allowed my children and, and your children as you're raising them now, if you allow them just to make mistakes that could be detrimental as a parent, you feel a need and an obligation to step in and perhaps say, well, that's a choice I don't think you should make. I don't think you should run out in the street right now. I know it looks enticing, and maybe your friends want to do it, but I don't think it's, it's for your good. And so you, do, you have to have a balance between giving them that, that freedom of expression and learning from their mistakes, but also protecting them. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think you're kind of in the epicenter of it right now.
1: We are, we are, and we have to, from my perspective, we always have been, uh, because you know, as you can imagine, being a university of over 12,000 students, both online and on ground, we have students coming from all over the world uh, to study with us and that allows for an amount of growth uh, and mistakes to be made just by all these different cultures coming and learning together. Uh, there's also an aspect of you're correct, Rob, where you, you don't want them to so the, to use your term. They're running the street, but you also need to be able to share with them and understand uh, and have them understand maybe why running in the street, isn't the best idea. And if you do go down that road, there may be some consequences, uh, And so those are the things that we like to work with our students on and share with them uh, while also truly, like I said, allowing them to make some mistakes, but they're calculating mistakes.
0: Mm. So Jason, uh, in our industry of sports and not everyone who will be listening to this is necessarily interested in a sports career or making that career change, but uh, we are in an industry that's always front and center. um, And uh, we're, we're kind of, uh, we always had that spotlight on us, and of course it 's something that we ask for that 's why we we broadcast our games right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but in this uh, in this industry of sport, people want to know about opportunities. Is there an opportunity for me to actually make a career? Uh, you know I decided a long time ago for me jason that that uh, I was never going to be six four and and two forty <laughs> um i know that surprises you but i i, I did that realization several years ago and so I, I and i didn't really anticipate working in sports when i was in college but eventually i had that opportunity and to your earlier comments i had decided to take advantage of it and do all i could to make something of it um but you're a minority you're a black man in america who has led a very very successful career and uh you've worked for it uh, you've had opportunities that have been presented to you and you've pounced on them and made the most of them. What do you say to people who are, feel like perhaps it's just, they're just not, they're, they're not gonna be presented those opportunities. It's not in the cards for them.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good, very good question, Robin. Like I said before, I've been very fortunate to have some really good mentors. And I believe that I've been able to uh, acquire those mentors because they saw hard work dedication a willingness to learn a willingness to listen and a willingness to go above and beyond and my father and my mother taught me those things at a very young age whether it was you know uh, working around the house and and cleaning up and taking pride in what you did um, but then also having the opportunity uh, to do those things and also make some mistakes along the way but I think what happens sometimes with other young people is they don't want to put their nose to the ground and work hard and don't worry about what you aren't getting and worry about what you are getting. Because they don't think about the opportunity sometimes as an opportunity. They think of it as, well, this is all I get to do. Well, don't think about it from that perspective. If you think about it as this is what I get to do. And then also think about it as, if you do it really well, you will get to do more things. And take the more responsibility that you get as a badge of honor rather than a badge of burden. And I've been fortunate to look at it from that perspective. And and that sort of thought process has served me well. And I try to instill those same things in the young people that I have the uh, opportunity to affect some positive change on at Maryville University.
0: At the risk of thinking or suggesting that I can add anything to what you're saying, you do remind me of... um... <clears throat> some advice I've I've tried to give young people over the, over the years, uh, especially when it comes to the sports business, but in any industry really, and that is if you focus on what you were doing at the time, that which you've been asked to excel at, whether you are the, um, you know, working in the mailroom or you're pulling the tarp or you're uh, working in the promotions department, it doesn't really matter what, but whatever you're being asked to do, if you will do your best at that and excel at that and exceed expectations, the world the world will find you. You cannot hide. I always like to say that success cannot hide. and um, And people will tap you on the shoulder when you least expect it and say, I've observed your productivity, your value, the worth you bring, your dedication to your job, and I've got an opportunity for you. And so instead of always, you know, having what I call professional impatience. Uh, <laughs> just have the opposite be, be professionally patient, diligent, do your best. And it's amazing how, how opportunities open up.
1: No question. No question. My father taught me something in the at a very young age. He said, cause he, you know, your parents as always want to know, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do? And, um, I told my dad that I wanted to be in the same business that he was in. He owned a couple of different businesses in the town we lived in. And he said, no, son, what you want to do is find something that you truly enjoy. Become very good at it. And then that will be your career. Hmm. And that has stuck with me all, all this time. Uh, and the, that with being coupled with uh, putting in those values that I that shared about earlier, I've been very fortunate to have a, a very good career.
0: Well, and you're making great careers for other people too. And uh, so once again, I, I, I just wanna express my admiration for what you've done, Jason, and what you continue to do. And boy, I sure hope Maryville keeps you there for a long time, because uh, uh, you've really created a legacy there. I'm proud to be a part of it. And uh, just to hope that I can continue to make a small contribution to the, to the great things that you and Dr. Lombardi and all of your colleagues are are putting out at Maryville University.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Rob. We're fortunate to be able to work with you. We thank you for that. Um, We are fortunate to have many uh, others work with our program as well, and that's what has made the program be successful. Uh, And then also, you know, that coupling with uh, the vision of uh, Mark Lombardi, our president, uh, it's just been outstanding.
0: Well, thanks for spending some time with us and uh, sharing some some wisdom with us and uh, also your own story. It's, uh, it's, it's inspiring. And uh, I'll see you shortly, Jason, won't I?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, we'll see you in the fall as always. And uh, we look forward to that time. And again, uh, we appreciate the time today and the opportunity to speak with you, Rob. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for being a part of this episode of Game Face Execs. If you found any of it useful or helpful, please rate or like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I always appreciate you referring us to others as well. I'll see you next week. Until then, persuade, influence, inspire.